Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Authentic series, which walks through the book of James, discovering how we can be a growing and maturing Christian. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. And uh, I had flown into Portland, uh, where my wife was teaching at a Christian school, and uh, we drove up uh, the five or so hours from Portland together uh, up here to Moses Lake, and we were getting acquainted with Pastor and Miss Hannah and the Fountain Kids, and uh, we instantly started cracking up uh, at Micah making uh, Elvis references in the car, and we were like, oh, okay. These are normal people. We can feel safe around them. And uh, I have not regretted that since. Uh, But on that trip, uh, Pastor had uh, some of the the different staff members of the church at the time uh, eat a meal with us just so we could get to know them and so they could get to know us. We ate with Mike and Rebecca. Actually, we didn't eat with Mike and Rebecca. We went to a Starbucks uh, because they had something going. uh, But we went to Rob and Beth's house. And uh, they gave us directions. If you've ever been to Rob and Beth's house, it's super easy to get to. Just take 17, take a right, take a left, take another right, and it's there just a couple streets down on your left, and you're great. Um, I was very new to the area, and uh, I had full confidence that I could follow his directions of, oh yeah, just take this big road right, left, right, and it's there in a couple streets on your left, and I went completely the wrong way. In retrospect, I started driving all the way towards Afreda from here. That's not how you get to Robin Beth's. That's never how you've gotten to Robin Beth's. Uh, So when I heard this title, I know what it's like when you turn to the completely wrong direction, where uh, It didn't matter that they had Jay's teriyaki that was waiting for us, uh, that it was, you know, great what would become lifelong friends that we were going to be able to share a meal with and hang out with Addie and just a tiny little Weston at that point. Uh, It didn't matter because I was never going to get to see them because I was headed to the Pacific Ocean. Uh, Knowing where to turn is so vitally important. And in this passage, uh, there are three turns, or rather three types of turns, that I see James telling the believers about. He says, hey, you are undergoing persecution. These would be those that had been at the church at Jerusalem, that had now been scattered throughout uh, the Roman Empire uh, because of the persecution of both the Jews and the Romans. Uh, You can even think of the Apostle Paul having uh, a part in that of scattering uh, the believers at that time. And so to these scared, persecuted Jewish Christians, James tells them, hey, I know right now you're scared, but I know where you need to turn. And I'm sure these aren't the first times uh, that these believers would have heard these admonitions, but here it was coming uh, with the inspired voice of the Holy Spirit saying, hey, you can take comfort, you can have joy, like we heard about last week, you can have joy in your circumstances because you know where to turn. And all of this comes really uh, right on the heels of verse four. It says, let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And as pastor talked about last week, all of these things are happening. Everything that we're gonna read about is so that the believer would be perfect 
and entire or mature and complete, lacking nothing. Let's pray and dive right into uh, the passage for this evening. God, we love you. And Lord, um, whether right now we're in a place where we don't know where to turn or Lord, if there's a trial or something that's coming up in our lives that maybe we don't know about yet, God, may we take these truths to heart that we always have a place, a refuge, a rock that we can run to for our salvation. And Lord, we ask tonight as we dive into your word, uh, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. God, I pray that you would be with me as I preach, that you would, uh, Lord, just give me your words to say. And uh, Lord, we ask uh, that you would bless everything this evening. In your name I pray, amen. The first of these turns that I see James telling the believers about is in verse 5, and it, he tells them to turn to God for wisdom. He says in verse number 5, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Now, let's not separate this from what we heard last week. Everything we heard last week of, okay, diverse, various trials and temptations are going to come at you as a believer. These persecuted Christians knew that, be knew that better than most. They had been displaced from their homes. They'd been displaced from their country. And so this was a very present fact for them. And so he says, hey, some of you in this process of needing to Count it all joy when you are encountering these various trials. And as you are uh, getting that patience or that endurance from the Lord, you're going to have questions and you're going to say, God, what am I supposed to do in this season? And he says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. So this first turn is, hey, turn to God and ask him for wisdom in your life. And he says that gives to all men liberally. Now, when we hear liberally, uh, for me, it always has kind of maybe a political connotation of, oh, he, he gives to all men like the liberals, but that's not, what, that's not what the verses say. This word means simply or sincerely, and another adjective of it would be generously. He generously, simply, sincerely gives to all. And I'm glad that God gives wisdom sincerely and simply because he knows that we are not him. If you had all the wisdom that you needed for your life, you would, in a sense, be omniscient. You would have all knowledge of every path that you would need in your life. But in our asking God for wisdom, we acknowledge, hey, you are in control. You are the only wise one. You are God and I am not. So when we ask God for wisdom, he gives it to us freely. Aren't you thankful for that? It's not a thing of, okay, if you give, uh, you know, 20 pence in the offering, then God will give you some wisdom. Or if you win this many people to Jesus in a week, you can get some wisdom. Or if you do this many good works to this many people, then you can get wisdom. No, it is God's sincere and simple gift of wisdom that he gives to us. And I'm so thankful for that because I'd never feel like there's a time in my life where I go, 
man, I'm really killing it at, at this whole Christian life right now. You know, I'm, I'm pretty holy. I'm pretty righteous. If I'm ever in that position, it's, it goes downhill very quickly. But I'm so thankful that even in our sinfulness, even in our old nature, that God freely, simply, sincerely, generously gives us his wisdom. Not only that, but it says he upbraideth not. And this word upbraideth means to reprimand, to insult, or to revile. The word is even used of uh, those that were insulting Christ while he was on the cross. It's a very heavy-handed word. And it says, God is not going to insult you or reprimand you when you ask for wisdom. As I mentioned before, God will never reprimand you for not knowing what to do and instead asking him what his plan is. Really, we, we could expect to be, uh, you know, maybe corrected by God if we just went on our own way and never asked him what the plan was or just assumed we knew what God's plan was. But God instructs us to turn to him for wisdom and to ask him. Because he says, I'm going to give it sincerely. I'm going to give it generously to you. And I'm not going to insult or upbraid you for asking. And I love this promise at the end of the verse. If we lack wisdom, we ask God and it shall be given him. I love that there's no maybe condition things on there except for if you lack, ask And this is going to be the product. You will get wisdom from the Lord. I can't think of a guarantee like that anywhere else in life. You know, I could I could hope that I could ask Pastor for some wisdom on some things and 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 hope that his wisdom was good. Uh, You know, I could send a letter or something to Bill Gates or someone asking for financial uh, uh, advisement, financial counsel. And be like, okay, please give me this wisdom. And, and hopefully he'd have something. But the only always right, always truthful, all-knowing God of the universe promises that when we ask him for wisdom, he's going to give it to us freely. What a promise. It made me think of the song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And this is the admonition of James to this church. Hey, right now you're going through some temptations and some trials. You're going through some hurts where you're at, but turn to God for wisdom and you will see the amazing friend that you have in Jesus. Not only do we turn to God for wisdom, but he tells us in verses six through eight, to turn to God in faith. He says in verse six, but let him ask in faith, the the one that's asking for wisdom. Let him ask for wisdom in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. I want to look at verse six there. It says, let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. To waver here is to make a distinction. It's to separate or sever. 
To waver in faith is to separate what you know to be true about God from reality based on your feelings, saying, okay, I know this is true about God. I know he's going to give me wisdom. I know he's always going to do what makes me more like Christ and what is for my good. But right now I don't feel like that's true. And so it's separating truth from reality. And this wavering here, he says, is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. And I found this awesome clip here. I don't know if it's super bright except when the lightning strikes, but you can see these storms that are coming along and, and the waves every couple of seconds that are just rolling. And I thought about many of these Jewish Christians that would have traveled from Israel and from Palestine over to the different areas of the Roman Empire. Many of them would have traveled by boat over some sections, maybe some that had originally been from the region uh, by the Sea of Galilee. And they would think back to these times of maybe when they had crossed bodies of water and, and it was treacherous and there was so much uncertainty of what was going on. And this is the word picture that James uses here. He says, hey, when you waver, when you say, I, I don't know that I believe God and his truth. I don't know if I believe that based on my current circumstances or my current feelings. And when we separate the truth we know of God from our reality, it plunges our life into uncertainty like a wave of the sea. When we waver and don't turn to God in faith, we tell him, I want you to do this thing that I don't believe you can actually do. That's so silly would be the right word for it, saying, God, do this. I don't think you can, but do this for me. And especially as we're asking God for wisdom, the, the passage here says we have to ask God for wisdom, believing that he will give it. If we ask God, but don't believe that he'll give it to us, he'll say, okay, you don't believe I will give it to you. Great, have fun with that, see how it goes. But he says, I encourage you to plunge your full faith, to put action to your faith here. Don't waver, ask in faith. And then in verse number eight, he says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And this word double-minded is interesting, especially if you've uh, been in our Stop Trying uh, book and, and series with us in the growth groups. Uh, the Greek word here is uh, dipsychos, or two psyches is the word that's in there. It's literally saying you, uh, if we can use some of our things from our Stop Trying, you're trying to live two identities right now. You're trying to live, hey, the one identity, I'm a child of God. I'm asking him for wisdom in my life because there are trials and I don't know what to do. And on the other hand, you're saying, I don't believe God can. I don't believe God will. And he says, a double-minded man, this man with two minds or two identities is not going to receive anything from God. A double-minded person is one that chooses not to choose between faith and unbelief and loses the benefits of both. 
If the person stands on faith, they can say, I believe God. They throw themselves wholly on him. And from scripture, we would know that God answers those requests and God honors faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. On the other hand, if a person just goes full-fledged into unbelief, uh, they live in uh, what scripture terms the pleasures of sin for a season, and uh, they just try and go through life without God, and there's no real torment in them of man, should I, should I not? But this double-minded person, the person that says, I'm not going to choose between my faith and my unbelief, they are tormented. It's that wave of the sea that is going crazy. So James says, hey, don't be double-minded. Throw your faith completely on God. We know that we have to do that for salvation, It's common sense of you can't throw part of your faith for salvation on Jesus and part on your church attendance, or you can't throw part of it on Jesus and part of it on a baptism. You have to say, no, it's all Jesus or nothing. But way too often in our lives, we say, okay, I'm going to put part of my faith in Jesus and and part in my portfolio, or I'm going to put part in Jesus and or part in whatever other thing. So James says, hey, don't waver. Don't don't make a separation or a distinction between what you know to be true and what your feelings are at the moment. Instead, say, okay, I know God has been faithful in the past. I know who he is. And so I'm going to place all of my faith in him. So turn to God for wisdom. Turn to God in faith. But then in verses 9 through 12, I see that he exhorts us to turn to God in joy. Now, it's going to be a little confusing going from those verses into these ones, but stay with me, and the thread goes all the way through here, and we'll connect it at the end. He says, Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich let him rejoice in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. The first thing I want to look at for these verses where where James is telling them, okay, turn to God for wisdom, turn to God in faith, now turn to God in joy. He says, let the brother of low degree rejoice. That word there is to glory in or to boast in. This is the word that Paul would use in Galatians 6 where he says uh, that I will make my boast in Jesus. And he tells uh, these two different types of people, hey, here's what you need to glory in. Those with little means, little money, bad circumstances, he says, glory that you have a high position with God. Uh, The word there, uh, let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted is the same word that would be for heavens or the heights. He says, hey, even if you have only the smallest amount of money, it's okay. You need to glory in the fact that you have been seated in heavenly places with Christ, as Ephesians 1 would tell us. But then on the other side, he says, those with great means, you that have a lot of riches, glory that your position with God will last longer than your riches. And you can see that there uh, in 
verses 10 and 11. But the rich glory in that he is made low because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. And then he quotes here from Isaiah 40, verses 7 and 8. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. And you can see there at the end of verse 11 in James, he says, So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. He says, Some of you right now, are trusting in your riches, in your financial means, in what you have, in your possessions. You're trusting in that to get you through these hard times. Some of the persecuted believers didn't have any of that. So he says, hey, for you that are suffering and you have nothing right now, rejoice because you have been seated in the heavens with Christ. Your position is secure before God. As, as we learned about this week uh, in the growth groups, that we have a position and an identity with Christ that no storm of life can ever take away. But he gives this admonition to those that are trusting in their riches. He says, hey, don't trust in your riches. And in fact, you should be happy. You should rejoice that your position with God will last a lot longer than your riches will. And when he says the rich man will fade away in his ways, it's, it's to be utterly destroyed. It's to be made void, to lose, to be deprived of. To put your faith in riches is to put your faith in sinking sand. Everything you hope for will either be lost, stolen, or destroyed. Man, it makes me think of Jesus's admonition on the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break in or steal. So then he says here at, at the beginning of verse nine, let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is Exalted. How can those who have nothing turn to God in joy? By realizing that they have the only true wealth, God Himself. I love that uh, old Fanny Crosby hymn that the fountains sang uh, several months ago now. Thou Savior art my portion, what wealth of grace is mine. What pure and priceless treasure, not earthly but divine. My soul is in thy keeping, my life is hid with thee. Thou Savior art my portion and shalt forever be. When you realize that your security in life, the, the steady anchor, the thing that keeps you from rocking, uh, rocking around on the waves, when you realize that God is the only one that can keep you secure through life, that's when you are able to turn to God in joy. He says, hey, rejoice brother of low degree, in that you've been exalted. He says, rejoice, rich, in that you've been made low. He says, hey, even though it will come at personal loss to you to realize, oh, my riches weren't where my security or my happiness should have been found. He says, you still have your God to turn to. So here's kind of the theme through these first several verses in the chapter, he says, okay, have joy in every trial because trials bring endurance or patience. He says, endurance or that patience makes you mature. So 
Ask God for wisdom in your trials that you're going through. Ask in faith, believing that he actually can give you wisdom. And then have joy even without others' better circumstances. And then he sums it all up with this great benediction. He says in verse 12, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Here he says, hey, these trials are coming at you, but if you endure these temptations or these trials in your life, you will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised, has promised to them that love him. I love this word, endureth there up top. It's the same word that's used uh, here when it says, Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. God isn't asking you to do anything that he has not already himself done. We have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in every point tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So he says, hey, just like Jesus went through all the trials of life himself, so you too can endure these temptations and these trials. Here, when it says the crown of life, it's talking about uh, the crown or the wreath that was given to the victors of Olympic Games. Pastor talked about this, I think, uh, in the first couple weeks of uh, the series on 1 Corinthians where Paul mentions it as well. And where these wreaths were only given to uh, the best athletes and those that did the greatest job in the Olympic Games, Christians don't earn crowns through being the greatest They earn them through a simple walk with God. You don't have to be a Paul or a John or uh, a Pastor Fountain. You don't have to be the greatest Christian of all time in order to get a crown. Instead, this passage just says you get a crown after you've endured temptations, after you've gone through trials in life, God has promised you a crown of life to them that love him. It's not a thing of, okay, I guess I really have to be uh, the very best in order to have any reward from God. No, because all the righteousness is the Lord's anyway, earned by Christ and put on our account through his death, all God asks is, hey, Will you endure? I endured the cross. I went through all the temptations and trials of life. Would you just follow me and love me and turn to him? So he says this, have joy in every trial because trials bring endurance. Endurance makes you mature. Ask God for wisdom in your trials. Ask in faith, believing that he can. Have joy even without others' riches. And if you endure like Jesus, his presence and his reward awaits. Where do we turn? We turn to God for wisdom. We turn to God in faith. We turn to God in joy, knowing what's coming, knowing what's at the end of the road. 
We can go through this life. We can go through trials. We can go through any circumstance that life finds us with joy because we know God loves me. He gave himself for me. If God is for me, who can be against me? There's a crown waiting at the end. There's the presence of Jesus himself. As pastor talked about this morning, he will raise us in an incorruptible body where there will be no more effects of sin. Everything will be made right. There is nothing but good news waiting for the Christian just on the other side of this life. So we can go through this life and we can let others know why we could have joy, why we could have wisdom and peace in the trials that we go through because it's all about him. So are we turning to God for wisdom or are we relying on our own wisdom? Are we allowing our belief in God to affect our faith? That we say we believe God is all-powerful, that he is all-knowing, that he is good, that he is holy and he's just, Do our prayers, does our faith, do our actions back up that claim of our belief? As James mentioned, don't make a separation between what you say you believe about God and how you act or how you pray or how you believe. And then are you having joy in your circumstances, knowing God's rewards at the end? I used to sometimes hear it said, uh, like the best way to, to do anything in life is, is maybe because it's just right to do. We're out of a source of, of duty. And uh, I heard that before. I, I heard sometimes, uh, you know, it's, it's okay, but it's not a good thing to, to do things because there's a reward. Uh, I've also heard it said it's, it's the best way to serve or to do things because you love the, the person or the thing. Uh, so you could serve out of love. You could serve out of duty. You could serve out of reward. Uh, you could serve out of fear of punishment or whatever would come at you. But really, as, as I look at Scripture, God gives all the reasons. It says, hey, if you love me, You know, blessed is the man that endures temptation when he's tried, he'll receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. He says, hey, if you love me, endure the temptation. Because it's right to do, endure the temptation. Don't trust in other things like those that are wavering or those that are double-minded or those that are trusting in riches. Don't, Don't be like that. That's wrong to do. Do what's right, serve in duty. But he also says, hey, serve Because there are rewards. God doesn't say, okay, you can choose one of these reasons. He says, hey, serve, go through life for all of them because everything is at our disposal as a child of God. We can serve because we love him. We can serve because it's right to do. We can serve because he has laid out the rewards in the feast before us. There are so many reasons to serve and to love our God. Are we going to choose tomorrow? Are we going to choose this week? Are we going to choose in 2022 to turn to him? He says, if any of you lack wisdom, 
Let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally, freely, sincerely, generously, and he does not upbraid, and he will give you Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.